Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International. And we're coming to you over EWTN Radio. Thank you for joining us today. St. Jerome once said, for ignorance of the Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And that's in many ways what drives this program. We, Our desire is that through the study of the, the Scriptures, we can draw closer to Christ and His Church. And we emphasize that to adequately understand and read and interpret and apply the scriptures, we need to make sure that we're listening through the ears of the church. We, we've got to make sure that the teacher that gave us the scriptures, uh, that we're listening, as opposed to the idea that all I need is myself and, and of course, the Holy Spirit will guide me. Well, all you got to do is look around the world and and you see thousands of interpretations of scriptures, many of which are not only contradictory, but lead people into doing some pretty crazy things. And just about the time we think we've got a corner on how to interpret a scripture accurately, uh, we may be blind to our own blindness. And so that's why uh, our Lord Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his apostles, saying that the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. And that's why, in fact, we have a New Testament because we believe that there in the fourth century, those Catholic bishops that finalized the canon that we have, that they were being guided by the Holy Spirit. Other than that, it's just a different committee of voices. So all of this is the background to this program. Each week I invite a guest to talk about what you might call a scripture they never saw before. And often that means a scripture that they certainly saw, but maybe interpreted it differently, maybe didn't see all the angles. And that might be true for our guest today. I've invited Michael Matthews to join us today on Deep in Scripture. Michael has been a guest on the Journey Home program. He's a former Baptist minister. He will appear on the Journey Home in a couple of weeks, April 4th. He'll be back on the Journey Home to... to uh, discuss his journey as well as answer a few more questions than he was able to address on his first appearance. And let me remind you a little bit about Michael, if you're a, a fan of the Journey Home program. He's a former ordained independent fundamentalist, King James Version only Baptist minister who came home to the church in 1997. And actually those things that he used to describe himself are very important, independent fundamentalist, King James Version only Baptist minister that, that draws you down slower and uh, smaller and smaller to define uh, which little corner of Christendom in which he lived. Uh, but he's been a Catholic now for about 14 years. He currently serves as director of Triumphant Ministries, an apostolate of adult formation, apologetics, and scripture study, and is the author of a popular series of Catholic gospel tracts. Um, it, it's kind of the Catholic answer to all the other anti-Catholic fundamentalist tracks that many of us have received over the years. Um, and I actually have a local doctor in the area. He's a good Christian brother, but he'll often make house calls and leave notes on anti-Catholic tracks. Um, makes you wonder whether you should go to him for other uh, reasons, <laughs> you know. But anyways, uh, the verses that uh, Michael chose are familiar verses. But the point that he wants to make is that these are familiar verses, yet, depending on the baggage you bring to them, you can interpret them in radically different ways to make sure that they're interpreted correctly in the context of Ephesians, of the New Testament, of the Bible, and of the wider sacred tradition. The texts that he chose are Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and then Galatians 2, 20. And as I read these, most of you will certainly recognize these as familiar passages. Let me read first the Ephesians passage, and then we'll go to the Galatians 2.20. And this is Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, then Galatians 2.20, and then we'll take a break, and, and Michael will join us. So Paul writing to the believers at Ephesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the faith, in the, excuse me, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're listening to Deep in Scripture, coming to you by the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on The Journey Home, join Marcus as he welcomes former Methodist Matt Swain to the show. See how the Holy Spirit led him to make The Journey Home to the Catholic Church. That's on the next Journey Home, only on EWTN. The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by Michael Matthews, former ordained independent fundamentalist King James Version only Baptist minister. Yes, sir. <laughs> Reminds me of an old joke I once heard. Uh, can't do the whole thing here, but about this guy wanting to save somebody from jumping off a bridge, and, and he went through the long list trying to see if they were on the same religion together. And at the end, after about ten different qualifications, in which they were, you know, the new dispensational King James Version independent justification Baptist, in the end, it was one little difference, and the guy pushed him off the bridge. You know, because. And it reminded me of your story because, Michael, isn't it true? I mean, your little branch of of um, the Baptist faith not only was anti-Catholic, but in some ways was pretty much independent of everybody else. That's very accurate, Marcus. Um, you know, independent Baptists tend to be independent. Be, independent Baptists tend to be independent because they don't get along with anybody. And um, it, it's kind of humorous, but it's actually true. Um, when we talk about fundamentalism, we're actually dealing with a very small sliver of evangelicalism, which, of course, is a, uh, a section of Protestantism. And um, it's definitely not a standard something that you're going to find. It's very much an isolated sort of mindset. Um, but you're, you're right. You're 100% right. Um, it's a process of separation where essentially you end up not fellowshipping with anybody who's not just like you. Yeah. Did, were there uh, a, a fair percentage of ex-Catholics amongst the fundamentalist independent Baptists? A fair amount. A fair amount. It's interesting. I, my experience is that the most uh, vehement anti, anti-Catholics are ex-Catholics, hmm. and a lot of the ex-Catholics because um, they do go to an extreme. They do end up in the more uh, fundamentalist sort of sects or churches, what have you. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you've chosen some fairly familiar passages, which are, I mean, in that sense, are good passages. Um, and in, in my mind, they almost qualify in this way. Um, when I was a Protestant minister, it seemed like there were three kinds of passages. And for want of a better phrase, there was clear cloudy and stormy <laughs> there were those passages that just seemed so clear they didn't needed no additional explanation cloudy eh, it needed some tweaking to bring in line with my theology stormy whoa we'll, we'll leave those <clears throat> on the back burner 
first of all, from your back, from your previous experience, would you agree that there were at least three different kinds of passages like that? Well, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Mark Twain is famous for saying it. It's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I understand and don't do. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're right. I mean, there are some passages that are just clear. But even the passages that are just clear, if you're approaching them from a certain mindset and the meaning is clear, you tend to have to tap dance around it. Otherwise, you have to admit that you're wrong. Yeah. And there are some passages that are clear for group A that are stormy for group B and vice versa. Exactly. And the passages you've chosen, I would have thought back in my day when I was an evangelical Presbyterian I would have thought Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 and Galatians 2, 20 were as clear uh, as day. Well, I used to think so as well. Um, again, these are, like you mentioned, they're, they're fairly standard passages that are used to uh, support, <coughs> excuse me, in the case of, a, um, of an evangelical Protestant approaching this, uh, you go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 to say you're not saved by works. Okay, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. Um, it's interesting, a lot of times they just leave it there. They don't continue with verse 10 where it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, because that doesn't fit with the whole uh, sola fide mm -hmm. mindset. But um, coming from an evangelical Protestant standpoint and a fundamentalist standpoint, we would take that first part and fixate upon it and say, well, for by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Okay, so you have to ask yourself then, what is the that? I, and again, I quote yeah. from the King James because that's kind of yeah. kind of where I come from. But you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself, or that is not from you. That's not your own. So as fundamentalist evangelicals, we would typically say, well, it's talking about God's grace. God's grace is not does not originate with you. It is the gift of God. But obviously the faith part has got to be yours because you're saved by faith alone. You know, you have to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, if you look at the passage, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is you're saved by grace through faith, and the faith that saves you is not your own. So coming at this from a and again, I didn't see this until several years after I was I had become Catholic. Um, but I was in a Bible study with a priest friend of mine, and he made a, a mention to me of, of something I'd never really heard before. He said, "You are not. We are not saved primarily as individuals. We are not saved primarily as individuals. God does not primarily want to have a personal relationship with you." And I thought that was really kind of strange. Of course, I looked at him like he'd sprouted horns. Um, but but he, he kind of explained that, that yes, God does want to have a personal relationship with you. But before he can have a personal relationship with you, you need to be part of the body of Christ. And this passage, if you deal with it exactly what it says, the faith that saves you is not your own. So you have to ask if we are saved through faith. And of course, as Catholics, we believe you're saved through faith baptism, repentance, etc. Um, if the faith that saves you is not your own, where does it come from? Where does it come from? Well, now I can answer that, having been on in the Catholic side and especially studying this particular issue, it comes from Christ. The faith that saves us primarily comes from Christ. It becomes our faith as we grow in union with him. But the faith that saves us comes from Christ. That's one reason we, we baptize babies. Because the faith that saves us comes from Christ, which led me into this whole idea of if, if we are saved through Christ's faith, as you study scripture, as you study the New Testament, look for the places where it says in Christ. If you just do a word study on mm -hmm. in Christ, it's a great Christ, study to do that. Yeah, it's it an is. amazing yeah. study. Yeah. But what you realize is that we are saved not primarily as individuals. We are saved as members of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so his faith is the faith that saves us. And then ultimately that becomes our faith and his works become our works. In fact, that's <coughs> so key to making sure that we don't take a passage, which the audience may, unless you're watching this on, on in the internet, which if you go to chnetwork.org and then the ch, uh, the deep in scripture link you can watch us sitting here in the studio doing this 
live. But if you had done that, you would you would see that Michael is you're reciting from memory the passages, uh, probably still the King Jimmy version from your memory. Well, I mean, for all, for all of the faults of the King James Version, as far as being a, a poetic, very beautiful language, you can't really beat it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, so, and, and that's part of me. The Revised so. Standard Version Catholic Edition is based on that, it's a revised right. version of that. But the reason I mention that is that, that sometimes the, dan- uh, the danger of memorization can be that you can forget the context. Right. I am one that strongly encourages memorization of Scripture. We Catholics don't do it enough. We really should memorize Scripture and and meditate on it in our mind. But the problem of taking it out of the context is that you you miss the wider context of that passage, for Mm -hmm. example, which is the book of Ephesians, the entire book. Exactly. Is about what? I mean, what's the whole the whole book is the church. about the church. It's about the church. Uh, St. Paul wrote it. There's a lot of parallels between it and Colossians. And Colossians, of course, is his treatise on Christ. And then he deals with Christ in Colossians. He deals with Ephesians, the church, and the parallels between the two. Because to him, there were tremendous parallels, just like uh, you find in Luke's gospel in the book of Acts, the same parallels. What happened to Christ's earthly body? What Christ, happens to Christ's mystical body? Yeah, yeah. And... Those of you that have been uh, followers of the Deep Scripture program know that, uh, boy, almost a year ago, uh, did a, um, uh, that's back when Jim joined me for a, a long time when we did our study of Ephesians. And the emphasis that my take on Ephesians is that it was a, a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus, because he couldn't get there. He's in prison, but it's written to the newly baptized pagans, helping them understand chapters 1 through 3, what baptism did, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6, now that they're baptized, what do they have to do to live that out? And the first three chapters about what does baptism do, it makes them a part of the body. Exactly. And I was going to quote a, a verse that I think is a great background to this Ephesians Two passage, we go all the way back to chapter one, verse thirteen, in which he, Paul, is talking to the very people that chapter two, eight through ten are referring to when he says, "In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance, and to acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Well, the, the other interesting thing about that passage and about all of Ephesians is he uses the word you, and of course in, in English we kind of miss something, but it's it's plural. Yes. It's not talking about you singular, it's talking about you plural. And just that in itself is an interesting word study, because how many places when it talks about you, is it talking about you as a group, yeah. or we as a group, or something like that? And that also gets to what I was bringing out, is that we are saved as members of the body of Christ. And like I shared with you earlier, that covers so much of what we believe as Catholics, as Christians. It clarifies so many things about predestination, election, all of that. We are members of the body of Christ. So you don't find scriptures that say uh, Michael Matthews is predestined for heaven. What you find is that we as the body of Christ are predestined for heaven, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. The um, uh, and the other part of the context here, which uh, I wanted to have you expand a little bit on, uh, Michael, is um, that the context of this passage when he is talking about them being saved, the context is not so much saved at the end of life, as that moment that that was the only thing that we even often we even Jack was even worried about, was the fact that as pagans, former pagans, that they were saved from that life into the body. Mm-hmm. Isn't that really the context of this passage? Absolutely. In a nutshell. Well, that for Paul was salvation. You know, you, you are not again. You're not saved individually. You are saved as part of the body. 
And as as former pagans, the Ephesians, uh, you know, they worship Di- Diana uh, of the, of Ephesus and so forth. All the different pagan things, the the sports events that they had in Ephesus, and they came from that lifestyle and into the body of Christ. And so they are saved from their sin, but they are saved into, as you said, the body of Christ. And they were saved from paganism into the body of Christ, not because of their works. It wasn't because when they were uh, pagans, they did such great things that God rewarded them with entrance. That's the point he's trying to make. It wasn't because of their works, lest any man should boast, nor was it the works of the Jews doing their uh, strict Mosaic law uh, rules that got them into the body. No, it had nothing to do with that. It was that grace, while they were still, as Romans 5, while you were still in sin. Christ died for you. Yes. That's the point of this whole passage. But you think about this in context with modern-day evangelicalism, because in modern-day evangelical churches, what are you told at the altar call? You need to come forward and receive Christ as your personal Savior. You, you need to have faith in Christ, and that's what's going to save you. That is exactly opposite from what Paul is saying here. He says that the faith that actually saves you is not your own. And so it's just, it's just so interesting to me that um, we many times are, are criticized, Catholics are criticized because we add to faith for salvation. In fact, we say, we go even farther than that. We said, even the faith that saves us isn't ours. Even that's not ours. It's completely of grace. All, all the faith that we have in the world would not be enough to save us. It's Jesus' faith. Yes. All right, let's, let's pick up on that after we come back from the break. All right, Michael. <clears throat> You're listening to Deep in Scripture. You're hearing us as a, as a gift of the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us over EWTN, your global Catholic radio network next time on Mother Angelica Live Classics. Sometimes we have to endure the unexpected gifts that have been handed to us from God. Join Mother as she explains suffering and other things in life. That's on the next Mother Angelica Live Classics, only on EWTN. Mother Angelica Live Classics is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, joined today by Michael Matthews. And Michael, let me read this passage again, just in case we have some new listeners. Uh, we're looking today at second, excuse me, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God beforehand prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It, it seems that we've got, there's three things in here that we want to really clarify then is grace, faith, and works. Right. Those are the three. When we look at it from the context of being in the body, then how do we understand grace, faith, and works? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, um, grace, of course, from a Catholic perspective, is a little bit different. We view that as a different than your average evangelical Protestant would. Um, I remember very clearly in my fundamentalist days, we were told that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And basically, it's God likes you. God, God decides to take a favorable attitude toward you, and that's grace. From a Catholic standpoint, we view grace as really the work of the Holy Spirit in us, God's power to live out what we believe. 
and and it unites us to Christ and it it motivates us it moves us to to do the works that Paul talks about here um, his faith. very divine life yes coming within us changing us from the inside out and really we still have to respond with our will yes which is even aided by grace I mean so it's hard to draw the fine line you know because once we've been changed in once we're in Christ we're new creatures creatures the old is gone the new has come so I mean, all this involves the change that grace takes. Well, then the faith element, um, it's a lot more than a mental ascent. Um, you know, that, and again, that's another place that uh, we differ with our evangelical friends because they have a, a very strict separation between faith and works um, to where they really don't have anything to do with each other. So for them, a, a faith almost sense be simply a mental ascent. From a Catholic standpoint, faith always motivates to works. Your faith involves everything about you. You know, there's no difference between faith and faithfulness. Okay, every time you see faith mentioned in Scripture, it mentions what somebody did with it. You know, Hebrews 11 is a really good example. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, David did this, and so forth. So you can't have faith without works. Faith without works is dead, St. James said. Um, they're two sides of the same coin, and, and it's impossible to separate them. Which is interesting because that implies that at the time there were already people starting to misunderstand what faith was. So James had to do some correction there. Indeed, and um, yeah. you know, and then when we get into the idea of works, of course, uh, we need to understand that Paul uses works in different ways. There's there's works that are works of righteousness, fulfilling the Ten Commandments, etc. And then there are what he calls works of the law. Well, works of the law were kind of a it was a stock expression for the ritual elements of hmm. the uh, of the old covenant, things like animal sacrifices, circumcision, things of this nature, the things that really separated the Jewish people from everybody else, and and those are the kind of things in Romans when Paul says, "By the works of the law will no flesh be saved." That's what he's talking about. But when he's talking about works of righteousness, like here, he says, "We are." We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You cannot be united to Christ without the good works that follow it. You know, I'm wondering, um, trying to <clears throat> to remember myself when I was an evangelical, how I might be hearing our discussion and how we clarify it. Or also, if if I'm a Catholic, that isn't as catechized as well and maybe has picked up things along the way that isn't as clear and and here we are uh today uh, it's ash wednesday and you, you know catholics are going to be going forward today if they haven't already to put those ashes on our forehead the, the burning of last year's um palms right uh that could be seen as a work of the law. In other words, in the sense that it is a Catholic discipline that if we're good Catholics, we are to do. And my point being is that we Catholics have to memorize that that doesn't save us. If we do the, the disciplines of our church during Lent and don't eat meat on Friday, that because we did it or not did it, doesn't save us or not save us. Well, I think that goes true with, with just about everything that we do as Catholics. Um, you know, of course, we believe that the sacraments actually confer grace, mm -hmm. but you know as well as I do, there are some people out there who, uh, for lack of a better term, they view it as a car wash kind of thing. They put their engine in neutral, and they go through the steps of the sacraments or whatever, <laughs> and you come out clean on the other end. It doesn't work that way. You have to... to cooperate with your will with your mind with all of you it involves your whole being and if it doesn't then it's not genuine faith and and that for that's the case the way it was with paul for paul faith was not something that was just mental nor was it just something that you just go through the motions of it's something that involves your whole being yeah when we practice the disciplines of lent yes our heavenly father is pleased with us because we recognize the value of those acts for us and because of our willingness to follow the guidance of the church god is pleased with us but the primary reason for those is the disciplining of our will exactly they're really for us yes 
so that we can uh, you know, get rid of the dross of our life so that we can be open to receive more grace. And we do receive grace that enables us to be obedient, but it's still an act of the intellect and the will in response to that grace. I've really come to appreciate Lynn as a Catholic. And, and it's very interesting, even from an evangelical standpoint, there are evangelical ministries out there that have come up with a pseudo-Lent, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, Pat Robertson uh several years ago it formed this alliance with the uh, Campus Crusade for Christ where they were going to do this novel idea of a period of 40 days of prayer and fasting before Easter. Where in, on earth do they get these wonderful ideas from, right? <laughs> and and it's something that, that is understood that it's something that we really need. We need this season that we really focus on where are we spiritually? You know, what, what I mean, we, we should be doing that all the time, but especially a season that the, the church sets aside to make sure you get yourself right. You're, you're, command, you're commanded to go to confession. It's not just, you know, well, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. You are commanded to go to confession during Lent. I think that's a wonderful thing. Well, that's the reason that the church does that. In fact, the church made the change in the regular Friday disciplines where it used to be no meat, and then the church made the change to allow more breadth in that but not getting away from the the abstinence issue, it's really recognizing that for some people, giving up meat was not a problem at all. Was not a discipline. Was not. A, a, they didn't like meat. So I mean, there's the point. If that's the only discipline, then it doesn't train anyone's will. Or they think, well, I gave up meat today, therefore I'm going to be saved. Well, I always tell people in in our parish, the one thing that God wants you to give up more than anything else is you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which, in fact, when you go and read the Old Testament, you realize that the works of the law were for that reason in the first place. All those things were not to save them. They were originally there so that they could check their sinful nature and be open to the work of God in their life. It was to remind them of their sin. You know, all all the Old Testament rituals were to remind them of their sin and why they needed to repent. And so when we see folk walking around with the gray ashes on their forehead, it's it's not because they're there to um, proclaim their holiness, you know, as a sign of they're better than anyone else. It really is a sign that they're willing to die for Christ. That's really what it's supposed to be a sign about. It's a recognition of your own sin. Um, you know, someone asked G.K. Chesterton one time, what's wrong with the world? And he said, I am. And all of us need to come to that point. <laughs> well, when we think about that, it's Ash Wednesday, and the you know the ashes on our forehead. I'm going to read the next passage that we're going to look at, and then take a break. And we'll come back and talk about it. And it's that passage from Galatians 2:20, which again, when you think about what the ashes refer to on our forehead on Ash Wednesday, Paul is saying, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live." But Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're listening to Deep in Scripture, brought to you by the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Michael Matthews, former Baptist, fundamentalist, independent, King James Version only, if it was good enough for Jesus, good enough for me, Baptist Church, right? I mean, that's Absolutely. That, that's where you came from. Um, you know that the Ephesians two 
eight through ten passage, we could spend a lot of time digging in deeper with that one. I mean, just there's a lot of neat things in there. But let's jump for the last time we have to the Galatians passage because again, this is one of those passages that I know that I just figured it was clear as day and, and never crossed my mind to take it other than exactly what it said. As now, this is Paul saying. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Michael, can every Christian say that? I have been crucified with Christ. Well, on one level, yes, because if we have been baptized, we have been baptized into the body of Christ. And uh, Paul is very clear in Romans that if we have been baptized, we've been baptized into his death. So so potentially, at least, every Christian should be able to say yes to that. Um, practically speaking, that's where things get a little bit tricky. Um, St. Paul says, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, submit your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. The problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that analogy. That's wonderful. So this is a statement I have been crucified with Christ, that little phrase just there is a statement of both what God did and what I did and continue to do. But again, primarily it's what God did because, again, the grace, the faith that save us are not our own. And, and everything, everything starts with God. Everything is dependent upon God. You know, when you think about it, what we contribute to it really isn't that much, even though we are expected to contribute to it. But again, we we are placed in that position, and then we grow into that. As we are united to Christ, day by day, we are to be more and more crucified with him. All right. It, you know, this, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. From your journey, both from a Baptist as now as a Catholic— how do you understand the I in that passage? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Well, I, it's fairly straightforward that Paul is writing this, so he's writing this primarily about himself. But at the same time, his experience should be somewhat nominative for everybody else. So the longer that we are in union with Christ, the closer we grow to him, the more it's not I that's doing everything. You know, there's less of me and there's more of him. Yeah, there's. that's why uh, this is an example. I mentioned earlier the clear, cloudy, and stormy. This is a passage that can be all three, mm-hmm. depending on what you're coming from. It can seem real clear, but depending on your theology, it can become a bit cloudy. What do we mean by I no longer live? What do we mean that Christ lives in me? Uh, what does it mean that the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God? You see what I'm saying? It could be a lot of interpret the Baptists and the Calvinists and the Wesleyans and the Pentecostals all take that a little bit different. Oh, especially the Wesleyan, the, the holiness type tradition. They have this idea of the second work of grace, that there's one time when you accept Christ as your Savior, and then there's another work of grace when you become sanctified, and they would read a lot of that into this passage. Yeah, and uh, and even this last passage, I think you've mentioned to me that even in the translations the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The translations come up with different conclusions. And and that's somewhat unfortunate because I, I know I'm a firm believer in, in the work of translations and modern translations and so forth. But this is one place particularly I think we've lost something. Because in, in some of the older translations it says, The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not just by faith in the Son of God, I live by the faith of the Son of God, which ties back to Ephesians 2. The faith that saves us is not our own. The faith that we live by is primarily not our own. We are not saved by our own faith. We are saved by Christ's faith. Yes, so much. Um, the um, 
Uh, yeah, in fact, even that, that we've been reading the Revised Standard Version in the New American Bible it has the same faith in the Son of God. And it, it, from that perspective, it, it, it almost brings it down to just the simplistic, just trust in Jesus. But there's so much more to that. And yeah. we, we all, you know, we as Catholics definitely know that. Um, the faith trusting in Jesus. Well, we even, even that statement, what does it mean? Yeah. What does it really mean? It's, you know, is it just, okay, I'm, I don't have to do anything now because Jesus did it all? No, that's not the case at all. Um, Scott, I've, I've heard Scott Hahn say a number of times that faith does not make obedience unnecessarily. It makes it possible. When you were a Baptist, fundamentalist Baptist, how did you understand the idea that Christ lives in me? Well, when you Because that seems very individualistic. It is very, and, and of course, the, the Baptist faith tends to be very, very individualistic. Um, you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Christ comes into your heart, which is not a biblical term, but yeah. um, through the Holy Spirit, he lives in you. And so that's how they would explain it, that pure and simple. Um, of course, we understand from a, from a Catholic standpoint, there's a lot more to that because the reason that we have the Holy Spirit is because we have been united to the body of Christ, and he is the source of the Holy Spirit. And when I think about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now, um, what I think is of it is not so much trying to think it really. You know, when I walk my day-by-day walk, in the morning in prayer, at night in prayer, how do I live that out when I think about that? I don't think of it so much as that the Holy Spirit has left from way up there to come down into this body of mine, what I think about is that through baptism, there's this very mysterious union that I have with the Holy Spirit. So in a sense, I've been connected to heaven. Well, yeah, it's because you've been united to Christ. Yes. You are a member of the body. Um, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Well, if you take vines and graft them branches and graft them into a vine the sap that flows through the vine flows through the branches that's the holy spirit and it's all everything we have everything we have is because we have been united to christ we're forgiven because he's sinless we are children of god because he's the son of god we have the holy spirit because he's the source of the spirit everything flows from that everything all right let's um uh Again, let's 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 dig into these passages to make sure we get our our audience to understand a very practical sense um, uh, about how we live this out. Um, as a, as Protestants, we certainly gathered together, but often it seemed to me that the reason we were gathering together was to encourage one us one another to live out our individual relationship with Jesus and to do our individual calling, which was always to bring other people into an individual relationship right. with Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. That That's, you know, they would say, well, you're saved. The reason God doesn't kill you after you get saved and take you to heaven is because he's got a job for you to do here on earth. And that job, of course, is to spread the gospel and, and share, uh, share your testimony and so forth. And uh, that's... It's kind of a side issue, but one of the things I've really appreciated as a Catholic is the idea of evangelization isn't something that you leave everything that you're doing to go and do. It's something you do while you're living your life. Yes. Um, but all of that is the the individualistic thing is 100. You're, you're right. That's exactly how it's viewed. Um, I've often heard it referred to as your, your church is like a uh, your camp, your army camp. You know, you, in your in your daily life, you're out on the front lines, you're doing battle and so forth, and then on Sunday you get to go back to base camp and get recharged. <laughs> There's a wonderful book by John Paul II uh, that he wrote called Christophides Leici, The Lay Faithful in Christ, which is about the work of the laity in the church and did see us as the front lines, but really recognized that it wasn't that we were leaving the church to go out there, but that that was bringing the church into the world. And, and the idea was to bring those that we meet, that we reach who are outside the church into the church, into the unity, so they can experience the blessings of, the, of grace, of the faith, of being a new creature in Christ by becoming a part of the body. 
Well, the idea of evangelization, um, you know, I always used to hear as a fundamentalist, you're supposed to be a soul winner. You got to go out and win souls. And if these people die and go to hell, it's going to be your fault because you didn't talk to them. Well, that's a big guilt trip for one thing, but but it, it's it's a distortion really of the Great Commission because when Jesus told his disciples go and preach the gospel, the the original says as you are going, preach the gospel. So it's not something that should be divorced from your day to day life. You witness through your day to day life. The early church, the early Christians didn't have the luxury of going door to door throughout the streets of Rome because they're being persecuted. They won people through their life. All right, I want to make sure before we this time passes by because you do a, a kind of unique work uh, in your apostle the triumphant ministries. Uh, it's mainly uh, tracks, right? How, how'd that start? Well, I mean, we do speaking and, sure. and so forth as well. Uh, but the the idea that came to me was that our evangelical fundamentalist friends are are famous or infamous for using tracks, track ministries. And um, some of those you see the the Jack Chick tracks that are so vehemently anti-Catholic. Well, that's kind of an extreme, obviously. But a lot of our evangelical friends will use like God's simple plan of salvation, God the spiritual laws, things like this, and they will leave those at a restaurant, put them in a piece of mail, hand them out at a sporting event. And the thought occurred to me is, this is a wonderful idea. Why don't we put that to use within the church? Because I'm a firm believer that anything that God brings about outside of the church can be put to better use in the church. So um, I came with the idea of, of writing a series of tracts, Catholic tracts, that cover specific elements of the Catholic faith. So we have uh, our pilot track was called Eight Reasons to Become Catholic or Stay That Way. <laughs> then we've also got tracks about Mary, about purgatory, about the Pope, about the Eucharist, about you know just a, a wide variety of topics. Lately, I've been feeling impressed to not just do Catholic apologetics, but basic Christian apologetics sure. as well, because we can no longer assume in our culture that we're dealing with people who have a Christian background. So the latest one I've written is, is who do you say that I am? It's about the, the identity of Jesus. Who is he? Did he really rise from the grave? Was he really God in the flesh? And these are the kind of things that are very small. They're very inexpensive. Again, they can put in a, be put in a piece of mail or left at a table or what have you. It's not going to break anybody's bank. And um, if anyone's interested in these, uh, you can reach me at my, uh, web, my uh, email address is triumph at catholicexchange.com. And um, eventually, we're going to get a website up uh, where, where there's more details about these. But again, um, it's very good for to be hand, hand out in mass, no pun intended, but to be handed out in bulk and um, so forth. And, and God's really blessed these quite a bit. Well, you, your movement to do apologetics, basic apologetics, is, is neat because um, – Often in our culture, which has been influenced for the last 300 years in many ways uh, by Puritan evangelicalism, fundamentalism, has had such an influence on our culture, whether we're really living it or not. You know, that's our culture is lost in relativism in many ways. But yet, the usual, the idea of the individual relationship with Jesus is, so, in my view, so clearly connected to our culture that even basic apologetics, if, you, if you're dr bringing someone to understand Jesus, the given concept is this individual, they can know Jesus apart from the church. Well, to some extent, that's, that's sort of true. I mean, people can know basic facts about Jesus. Of course, we believe as, as Catholics that you will not know the fullness of the Christian faith outside of the Catholic Church. Um, the goal of this particular tract, for instance, we, we live in a culture now where there's been such an influx of inf Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age movement, things of this nature, that we can no longer assume that when we talk to someone, they have this kind of Christian basis. So it doesn't do any good to talk to this person about why Peter's the first pope if they don't believe that Jesus yeah. is the Son of God. Right, right. And I guess the the angle that I've taken in my own work is to recognize that that the church was never an add-on. Right. You know what I mean? In in the life of Christ, when when he came um, into the womb of Mary, 
in other words, was conceived in the womb by the Holy Spirit of Mary, and then was incarnate and, and became a, a human being born as a babe. It wasn't like it was 30 years later. He thought, you know, guys, I'm, I'm going to go here. And so I better, oh, why don't we, no, no, no. It was from the very beginning because it was a continuity of the old people of God. Right. In, in the same sense, in the Old Testament, you really could not know God apart. You could not have a relationship with God apart from being in the body that really the idea of really making sure we keep Jesus and his church connected. Uh, even though if you want to get people to be connected to Jesus, you may have to begin with talking about Jesus and then, then bring exactly. the church up. And, and, and of course, this is designed right. to do that. Um, but you, you, there are a lot of programs on, on basic Christian doctrine now, like the Alpha program, for instance, sure. which is a very good program in itself, but it's not Catholic. And yeah. in order to, to use it for, in a Catholic venue, you've had to have, do add-ons to it, like you said. And, and what I hope to do is to deal with these things from a specifically Catholic viewpoint. In a minute or so, what would you like to leave with our audience today and what they should take away from our, our discussion? Well, um, what I would like to leave is to, to dig deep in Scripture, because as you said, St. Jerome said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And you will never have a full, uh, full appreciation of what you have as a Catholic without knowing the Word of God. And secondly, dig deep into the church, you know, root yourself find out what you have because you are built you are in a church that's 2000 years old and has a tremendous rich storehouse of spiritual blessing that's available but above all draw close to Christ because he'll lead you in all the rest of it and i know it's a strong encouragement that you give for catholics to spend time at home in their privacy reading their own bibles and not just wait to hear it when it's read in mass exactly yeah, because you got to hear the whole, the whole context of it. Michael, again, what's the the uh, email address in case they want to contact you? Okay, it's triumph at Catholic Exchange, one word, CatholicExchange.com. All right, thank you, Michael. Appreciate you joining us today on Deep in Scripture. And those of you listening to us, Paul did make a very strong statement to all of us that indeed through our baptisms we can claim that we have been crucified with Christ, and that it is no longer. I, our self-centeredness that drives us, but Christ who lives in us and changes us. We can say that, but it requires our willful response and sacrifice. As Michael said from the Romans passage, that we are living sacrifices every day, surrendering. And he gives us his grace through his sacraments to enable us to do that. And let's pray for each other so we can do it together. God bless. See you next time.